Welcome back to Winsome Winner on Restless. Well, Pastor Michael, it is I, Matt, your host. I am joined by Pastor Michael as we continue with our ride through this winsome winter. And by the way, Christian Twitter, this is my PSA to you. Just knock it off. It's winsome winter, guys. Did like, you guys not get the memo? <laughs> this It's time for friendship and happiness. And that's what Pastor Michael and I are here to bring you. So if, if you're feeling bummed out by Christian Twitter for whatever reason today, I don't know who's mad at who, but here on Restless, we, we're we not mad. We're not mad at anybody. We're, we're feeling good. We do. I feel good. I feel good, Matt. And uh, yeah, we hope you guys do too. We hope that the vibes of love and unity and winsomeness will permeate through the interwebs as our voices go out and all hear them and so in 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 light of the the good vibes only good vibes all the time we are going to do one of the things we enjoy doing a lot on this show where we discuss the virtues that the apostle peter in second peter says we are to supplement our faith to keep us becoming ineffective and unfruitful in the gospel. And so these conversations for us are really enjoyable. Uh, they they are, they produce a lot of thought in us. They give me things to think about and talk to people about in my real life, which I love. We started upon this journey because we realized, again, like Peter and like I think the church he's writing to, they see people who are ineffective and unfruitful we see this in a lot of the a lot of the wire our leadership we at one point looked up to and are wondering what to do and peter gives us instructions he gives us direct instructions of what to do to supplement our faith with virtue and we've been walking through what he says and so this week we've come to one that i think is going to be a very interesting conversation um i, I hope it's not technical but this week we are discussing why Peter calls us to be pious and not pietistic. Piety, add supplement our faith with piety, not pietism. So shots fired, Pastor Michael. And do you want to read us these verses uh, and we can uh, begin our discussion on? I will. I'll reinforce it. I love that we started with like, hey, come on, everybody. Let's be unified. And we're like, all right, pietists. Yep. <laughs> Here we go. Uh you know, be unified with us and repent. Right. All right. So, I, yeah, let me read uh, this. We really do mean this to be unifying. We're not trying to get at anybody. Uh, Matt and I hope that we uh, begin by first preaching to ourselves. So uh, hear these words. And this is Second uh, Peter. And I'm just going to start in verse five. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. And godliness here, um, as it's translated in the ESV, is the, the word that we're going to be translating and talking about as piety. That's right. And so um, this word is pretty uh, rare, actually, in, in the New Testament. Um, 
this is again not a this is not a super common word it's used interestingly mostly in like in peter and in um uh in the pastorals so uh and it's the term eusebius eusebia it is this idea of yeah we translate it as the word godliness pastor michael before you had a a greater awareness of what this word meant in the ancient world how would you have described godliness because i've realized for me this was a very like very generic and like i i just wouldn't have had a good way of explaining it to anyone else yeah i think so i think um very often the term godliness i think it's actually far more helpful to just translate it piety and for the reasons we're probably going to be talking about it um, and it, it I, I mean, that's also kind of a vague term in our culture, but I think godliness, um, it just becomes a kind of catch all term, uh, a term of like, well, I mean, it's like God, right? So it's everything about God that you would like to be like, or you should be like, that's what we're going to be talking about. That's how I think it can often, that's often what it becomes. And so with, with the lack of any specificity, it becomes a little bit vacuous and, and you can just fit anything you want into it. Whereas what we're going to get to is that it, it's actually a, a bit more specific. It's not that it's not got some, you know, some bit of a broad nature, but it is a bit more specific than what we typically think of when we talk, use the word godliness. Godliness is a one of those big catch-all terms. That's right. And so this, uh, this term that Peter uses, he uses Again, he uses two other times in this epistle, and it is so interesting. So he uses this word again in Second Peter 1, 3. He said, his divine power, which is God, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us to glory and goodness. Right? So God has already provided everything we need for our life in godliness. And that is... That is what he's done right with us already. And so uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a good thing, right? This is why we always talk about that. These are things that are grown out of God's work in us, right? He's already given us everything we need for this. And we'll define it for a second. So the second reason this is an incredibly important virtue is, is when we get to the end of second Peter in second Peter three, as he talks about the coming of the Lord, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the first, the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought live holy and godly, or as we're going to describe it, pious mm. lives. Yeah. You ought live pious lives. So I'm going to give us our definition of this word that was used a lot. And so one of the big points we try and make, um, which I've had at least one seminary professor say, yeah, yeah, you're on the right track here, um, is that Peter is using words that were well known in Greek thought, and he is using them as they would have understood them. And that these words... Um, He's picking up on them and using them in a Christian way. And so, especially with this term piety, we're going to be looking at the um, Greek world and how it understood it. So piety was an incredibly central 
um, idea in Greek ethical thought. And it was most memorialized by the author Virgil in his story, The Aeneid. Um, in fact, Aeneas is called Pius Aeneas. Um, and so, you know, there's a famous uh, Roman coin that says pietas, which is Latin for piety. Um, obviously not the Greek word, um, but this word in the Latin translation of the Bible, by the way, they use pietas. Um, why is why is Aeneas pious? It's because he is loyal to his family, the gods, and his homeland. Classical In the classical period, piety existed in religious and non-religious contexts. And this is what I think is so fascinating. We only have a, this word to us sounds like it's such an inherently religious word. For them, yep. it had a much wider scope. It was you showing reverence to all right, trigger warning, hierarchies in the world. Mm. That of the gods, the state, the social order, your family. And this term is very rare in the New Testament, but it is so common in the Hellenistic literature of that time. And it's this idea that you live your life with appropriate relationships to your gods, your families, the oaths you've made, the laws around you. Um, piety, and this is where we get to our not pietism, unlike our modern conception of this term, dealt with external actions and external relationships rather than your internal feelings. Um, the Hellenized Jews used this, and they described it as you having the knowledge of how to serve God in all places. And they said, what is the key to beginning to learn piety? It is obedience to the Ten Commandments. And obviously, the good news for us is that we've already been promised that we've been granted everything that pertains to life and piety. Um, mm. So it's not, again, so this is, a, this is an interesting word because it is not a word that's found a lot in the Septuagint, but it becomes used a ton when we get to describing the Maccabees, Josephus describing um, the, gr the great men he, he believed were great. Um, and so this is, again, an indication is, is that this is something, yeah, that we're being taken from outside, right? And so what we get here is, is, is interesting. And the other thing I think is striking is, right, Aeneas is, is it like, he is a Roman hero. He's a manly man, right? He's a warrior. Piety was considered a very manly thing. And again, I think mm. a thing that our term for like a pious person, which is almost a joke, like Ned, like in our modern, this, I just realized this, in our modern parlance, Ned Flanders is like, oh, the pious guy, right? Like that's who's pious in our, wow. in our social imagination. That is so, brutal. Yeah. And piety does, it, it does seem to, it just carries a feminine nature almost, right? When you think of pietism and piety, it just, it does sound, which I just, I think it's just the enculturation of the word now, but it, it does have a kind of uh, more feminized context. Yeah. So, so Pastor Michael, why is piety not pietism? Yeah, this, by the way, uh, when we're, Talking about some of this, I would recommend, I highly recommend um, looking at some of the work done by uh, C.R. Wiley, who I'm going to call a friend yeah. of the show. He's He's been on, we've interviewed him. 
I'm gonna call him a friend of the show and uh, his book, The Household and the War for the Cosmos. He goes into this um, quite a bit more. And also great, great name for a book. <laughs> really, really solid name. Um, but anyway, if you want to dive a little bit deeper into piety and especially just the, some of the ancient roots, um, he he does a lot with it there. I think he probably does he, some. And in... retells the story of Aeneid and why yes. that's such a great example and why Christians can learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. And even as you were reading these things, uh, one of the passages that came to mind that I wasn't thinking about actually before we began recording, but uh, I was. I have been thinking about because you and I happen to be uh, preaching through the book of Malachi together. And uh, at the very end of the book of Malachi, the way that um, the book of Malachi ends, it speaks about uh, how God is going to send the prophet Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And then it says this, the very last verse in Malachi, the last verse, depending on how you structure the Old Testament, but the way that we do it, the very last verse of the Old Testament, it says this, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so what you have there is actually a uh, a bringing back of piety, right? Like a, a restoring of piety to the people where it's been lost. And this is a promise about one of the things that the Lord does um, when he makes a people, when he, when he takes a people for himself, what does he do? Well, he gives them his law to say, and says things like honor your father and your mother, when he comes to restore his people that have fallen away, he says, I'm going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. In other words, um, the, the proper uh, relationships are restored. And obviously, we believe and we know from Scripture that that is done ultimately uh, because of a restored relationship with God himself. So Christ comes, and by the blood of his cross, he reconciles heaven and earth. He reconciles all things. And that then plays out in our actual lives. It plays out in how you actually live towards someone else. And this is why we take it, and we want to say piety, not pietism. Because when we think of piety in a modern context, often we are very influenced by pietism and revivalism and, and some of these movements that have put so much focus upon the personal internal feelings that somebody has about something. And to the extent that the way you feel and the way that you feel toward God, or you feel that God feels toward you and the way that you feel toward somebody else becomes the most important thing rather than actually living in a way that is honorable toward those different relations that you have. So another, by the way, um, you know, one of, you know, I was looking, I have a, just a, a free, you know, Greek Bible app that uses, uh, you know, it, it just has the new Testament. Uh, it's just the Greek new Testament and it does very minimal, uh, work with the actual words, but it, 
it uses uh, Lydell and Scott, and it, in its definition of Eusebia, um, it it calls it reverence toward the gods, piety, or religion. And there's a lot of debate, you know, uh, there's a lot of discussion within the YRR, for instance, um, because of certain... Dude, I have a relationship. It's not a religion. Yeah, right. Exactly. This is this is the, the statement all of the time that uh, we want Jesus, not religion. But actually, this is the, the structure of knowing God is religion the the what it looks like right the the flesh and blood of knowing god is is what we would refer to or should refer to as religion now of course again language right some people are going to refer to religion or, or say religion to mean something that is not necessarily um it's something that's only negative and there are negative contexts but but what you have here in piety is this this restoring of the reverence that one has for God, but it that's not a your heart to God only thing. When, when God saves you, he saves all of you, and it changes how you live, not just toward him, the first four commandments, but also toward one another, how you live toward others, how you respond to your father and your mother, how you respond and, and uh, love and care for your children and your spouse, how you um, live toward those in in places of authority over you. It just, it, it changes all of those dynamics um, for you. And obviously not overnight, obviously there are elements of sanctification that you need to grow in this. And that's what we find in a lot of these contexts that be, because of the coming of the Lord, because of what he has done. So now you are to live in this way. It's, it, it's not a sudden overnight kind of thing. It's something that you must grow in, but this is what we want to get at this, this restoring of the relationships that we have toward others. So, so definitely Jefferson, Jefferson Bethke, you know, we mean you no offense. We know you're a listener. So love to have you on the show. Um, talk about the making of your, your famous video. Uh, so Pastor Michael, you're saying piety has more to do with me diligently disciplining my kids, going to work, being a good citizen than how my personal quiet time left me feeling this morning. Is that what you're telling me? That godly, really, the exactly. word godliness. Yes. Yes. Wow. Right. So the way that you treat your father, even if he has, uh, you know, sinned against you, that is where piety shows up. Right. Whether So whether you care for your parent, what does, what does Christ say to this, the Pharisees, right? When they come to him and, and what are some of the things that he condemns them for? Um, a lot of it has to do with issues of piety that they were allowing people and encouraging people to, for instance, abandon their obligations to their parents and for caring for their parents. If only they would devote themselves or their funds, their money to the church, right? That um, a man is supposed to honor his father and mother, but what he gives to the church all of a sudden it is Corbin, right? This is this is a gift that has been given and and you need not uh, worry about that anymore. So this is something that we yeah. still do. Uh -oh. I see you I lighten up say, over Pastor there. Pastor Michael, I was going to say like, 
oh yeah honoring your father and mother and caring for them instead of inventing things to be godly you guys i i was just thinking of the uh the you're gonna go there and so i'm gonna let you but it's the uh i just so you know everyone everyone in the audience is about to feel the moment of back to the future where marty mcfly goes oh you guys weren't ready for this yet huh well your kids are gonna love it because this is this is the this is the great neglected thing in the united states today we have we do not have our fathers on our back we have them. We don't. This is the image of Aeneas, right? The the one who carries his father, and we have so little, you know, love and respect for our parents. And what we do is we do things like, well, I don't have to, you know, for instance, be very uh, intentional about how I care for my family. And when I say care, I'm not, I'm not talking about again your feelings toward somebody. I'm saying how, you know, as your, for instance, just, you know, for instance, as your parents age, how have you thought about how you want to honor them and take care of them? Now, I'm not saying this is, we're not saying that this is free from difficulty. Um, we're not saying that there aren't or times when the same. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's not going to look the same for every person. Um, we're not giving a prescription for what that looks like. But the the very nature of actually going about doing that, right, setting up your life in such a way that you will you 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 will be the one that is going to in some way care for your parents as they age. Um, we live in a time when that's just kind of an absurd idea, almost. Right. I mean, it's going to be really hard for me to do that, Pastor Michael. I've I've actually declared that time of my life a time of I'm going to go into ministry. I don't think I sound like the Pharisees, it's, by the way, when I make that, when I get to make that pronouncement. Uh, this is exactly right. We do things like, well, yeah, it is okay as long as I give myself to the church. Well, what the church proclaims the is the word of God. And what the word of God says is you're supposed to practice piety and piety is carrying. It's, it's it is this, you know, it's, this is seen, by the way, um, piety is something that you'll find throughout um, the Lord of the Rings. If you go and read Lord of the Rings, Jared Tolkien has put this sense of piety throughout all of the, the primary characters where there's this sense of duty and obligation that I have something that I was born into this world with certain obligations, with certain duties. And in order to be pious, I have to fulfill those things. I actually have to do them. I don't just have to think nice thoughts towards somebody. I don't have to just say, well, I, I have nice, warm feelings toward my parents or my children or my spouse. No, I, I actually have to provide for them and care for them and intentionally go out of my way to make sure that they are honored, actually honored. So anyway, I... Yeah, I, I do think that this is an incredibly neglected thing. And this is not, by the way, to, to pile burdens upon you, especially if you're in a situation where you're like, you know, those decisions have been made, it's over. Yeah. Or, I mean, we live in a time when there's a lot of people that don't, I mean, you know, as, as they age, they may say, no, I don't want any help. I don't want anybody to be around. So it's going to be difficult to figure out how to go about doing this. Uh, but what we're talking about is still that intentional desire to actually try to do these things. Yeah, we're we're not saying you need to do this perfectly. Jesus Christ loved you and died for your sins. He doesn't expect you to be where you're supposed to be. He, he 
comes to where you are. But what we're saying is what we don't want to be is the Pharisees who have a, as Jesus said, an amazing way of taking the traditions of men and overthrowing the commands of God. What we're saying is we need to be aware that we came into a world where God has put certain duties and hierarchies over us, and it's our job to live within those. And that's yeah. what piety is. Um, and so, like, let me give a let me give another right another example, and then I'll 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 we'll go back to Pietism for a second because we you know we haven't beat up that enough. But the the other another example right is, um, how do you my dear conservative friend respond to leaders over you rules right how do you respond to the church leaders in governing you officials <laughs> governing officials social order the laws of the land or, or are you more of a don't tread on me kind of guy because i'm gonna tell you i love you i'm probably you and that's <laughs> right I'm, I'm talking to you because you're me <laughs> i don't know why you're clapping i'm talking about me you know like i don't know why i'm saying this because this isn't what i prefer as matt lowers the flag behind him on the yeah, video exactly. like, Let me, uh, i'll have to get a new flag up for for now but matt i might yeah. just to, like to put out our bona fides we Matt found us a restaurant when I went to visit him at one point and we walked into this restaurant that was like the most, you know, red meat American restaurant in the world. And they had this big don't tread on me flag. And it was it was a wild time. But anyway, we'll just say this. They they care so little for social convention. They served you first ice cream, then chips and salsa and then like (laughs) then your meal. (laughs) It was Oh, it was a wild time, everybody. It really so was. They, so they do not have any regard for the social order. <laughs> Literally, don't tread on us. We get to do what we want here. Yep. It's it is eleven thirty. Here's your giant ice cream, man. Oh, what's next? <laughs> Chips and salsa. Chips oh, and wow. salsa. <laughs> so, um, if if you want to hear more about that, maybe we'll share more about it in the Patreon yeah. or something. Or maybe we will go record from their live someday. That'd be fun. That but, would be so I, fun. I the other thing. The other thing to say is we've been using, you know, um, I'm going to try and not just reproduce things that uh, C.R. Wiley has said on this because he has said so much. One thing I love, he said, we should have what we should have just had him back on and been like, hey, we're doing an episode on piety because he um, I don't know if it's the title of his talk, but he's given lectures kind of in different places on this. And one of the things he says, we need to make men pious again. And but he Mm. points out that this picture of Aeneas, that the pious man, right, you know, is. Is kind of the the ultimate picture, but actually there were other coins in the Roman system with this word pietas on it. There was a nursing mother as another example, right? Yes. So again, there are, and so they're very different. But it's it's that everyone, no matter who you are, you can demonstrate this, right, with where you've been placed, and that that yeah. was what um, a great person is. And so that's why this isn't pietism because Mm. um i just think that like if you want the like colloquial definition of pietism because we're we could and if people would like please let us know we could do a deep like an actual historical dive on pietism and revivalism um if that would be helpful but let me give you the the hymn line and i think cr wiley uses this so i'm sorry again i'm not i'm trying not to steal everything he said but but also we're not going to reinvent the wheel 
I mean, go That's read right. his book. You know, we want to promote yeah. that. We've already promoted we'll we've just... already promoted the book that you can go get this from this kind of stuff from. But right, what is the hymnline that that like exemplifies pietism, pietistic religion? It's it's that song that ends its course this way. You ask me how I know he lives, referring to Jesus. He lives within my heart. Right. It's all about what's inside me. This is what happened in revivalism, right? Revivalism said every single person needs to have a supernatural experience with God. Now, that's not to say not everyone needs to be converted, that that regeneration, that there wasn't always a belief in regeneration, the work of the spirit. Read every single Christian from all of history. Right. They all believe that except for Pelagians. Now, obviously, we believe. Calvin and the Reformed um, and the Protestants, right, recover the biblical doctrine of how Paul speaks about these things. But this is universal. But so what, it, but Pastor Michael, when I say they're saying every person needs to have a, a special supernatural experience, what is different about that than the idea of everyone needing to be converted, which is obvious, I mean, to any reader of the New Testament is an obvious reality of the Christian life. Yeah. Yeah, really. It's so you think about what within revivalism it wants to see right what what that has to look like and it is this extremely experiential usually a moment right there's a moment when something right. takes place whereas what you find in you know what for instance what we just read from the book of malachi what did what did malachi what did the lord through malachi say was going to come when he brought actual revival among the people Right. He doesn't say, and there's going to be a moment and you're going to cry a lot and be at the front of the church and it's just going to feel really good. And then you're going to go home and live the same life that you lived and so on and so forth. And obviously, you know, I am I am being a little bit facetious. Right. There were real but, people converted in revivalists, right? Who, who oh, and there are all the time, right? Because God yep. God does that, right? I mean, this is right. this is the God that we serve. He's gracious and kind and and merciful and slow to anger. But it puts all this emphasis on uh, an internal experience in a moment. Whereas what we have again going back to Malachi is look what's coming. It's it's going to be the kind of thing that obviously there's a heart change, right? Because I'm going to turn the hearts of fathers toward their children, the hearts of the children heart toward their fathers. I'm going to restore piety. I'm going to restore the relationships um, that I have placed in the world. That's in essence what is being said. I'm going to bring about a renewal of those things as there's a renewal in the relationship between God and his people, then there's also then that renewal uh, that that acts between them and the various relations that they have to superiors and inferiors as the Westminster Confession speaks of them, as Westminster uh, Larger Catechism speaks of them. So uh, there's a there's a change in how you live and how you act and in in how you go about your obligations that are there, right? So he doesn't say, I'm going to create fathers and children that they're there, right? That structure that God has placed within the world, within reality of the relationship between fathers and children, that's there anyway. What he does is he restores that relationship, turning their hearts toward one another. 
Uh, and so this, this is the, the difference between piety and pietism that it's actually something in essence that you do that. And it's not a moment. It's a, it's, it's life. It's, it's all of what you are doing. And, and this is why, this is why, of course, this, right. And we'll come back to this heart religion in a second, but, but this is why, like, this is Jesus is Lord. This is Jesus is Lord of everything, right? Do you fear God? Are you reverent to him? Has he produced that in you? Then you're going to be reverent to the way he's made the world to work, the the way he's made your family, families to work, the way he's made your society to work, the way he's made your gender to work, right? Like we can go down the list of all of these things. God has made these things. And, and instead of you choosing your own venture that the pious say, well, where has God put me and what am I supposed to do here? Right. That's, you know, that is, again, you can go read, you can read, we're not going to retell the story of Aeneas, but that's why he has his father on his back because he's like, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to take this man right this way. And so I actually think, you know, this idea of heart religion, right? We're, of course, we are not saying that, you know, any true, true Christianity exists without a change in the heart. But what mm-hmm. we've, what we've noticed is is there's plenty of not true Christianity that exists with people who have had these kinds of emotional experiences. They seem to have the heart, right? So again, it's, it's, you can't equate that with conversion, but you realize why would, if we think about it today, why would we retreat to there's Christianity is all about my internal subjective, my experience. And I'll just say, I am not, I don't blame anyone for this happening because what we've done is we have tried to, we're stating Christianity in terms that are plausible to the world around us. And what I mean is we know the only thing they can't argue with you about is what's going on inside your heart, your internal experience. So if you say Jesus has saved me, right, I have experienced this, you know, we know, right, I mean, if you've ever been taught to share your faith, you've heard someone tell you, well, they can't argue with your testimony, right? Hmm. Because we know in our day, the only thing you can't argue with is someone's experience. Yeah. And just so you know, and, and so I don't blame anyone for like having that be having that been the way we primarily, the language we, we use to talk about God. Yeah, that's your baseline. It's it's not, what, and what we're saying is it's not sufficient and it is understandable because we like, well, they can't get me here, right? But just so you know, most of human history would feel totally free to question those experiences, right? Yep. Because they would say, well, that doesn't sound very in line with the social order. The end, right? Like they're, you yeah. know, they they don't care. They wouldn't care, and so, and that is that is the ultimate end of piety. Is that why do you know Jesus Christ lives? Well, the only reason I know He lives is because He lives inside my heart. I so I wonder. Um, so I going back a little bit and bringing it together here, you know, I had mentioned that, I don't know know, how we're going to bring this to an end. I know there's so much, there's so much by the way that we could do, but I was speaking of, you know, the, 
the idea of piety and kind of its feminization. And I don't do that, by the way, to demean femininity, to demean you who are women out there. Um, I think most of you, at least who are regular listeners, know that. I, I don't feel that at all. And so, again, piety is not something that, you know, for instance, isn't for women. Piety was always understood as, hey, you have obligations too, right? Toward your fathers and mothers, toward your husbands, toward your your peers, toward your your children. Um, this is why the image of a nursing mother, which by the way, again, in our day, um, that's another thing that would be, you know, this is held in great respect, right? That uh, a mother taking her place as a mother, this is piety. You you don't have to feel, I, I seriously, I want to talk to um, any of you who are moms out there or you who are maybe you kind of desire to be a mom, you're not in that place yet, but maybe you have some fears about that. I think that there's so much pressure put upon all of us, but thinking particularly of you who are women um, to be that kind of Christian, right? That you're constantly, you're always in prayer. You're always reading your Bible. You're always going on these, you know, maybe, you know, different service opportunities and things like that. And some of that is fine. I want you to read your Bible, for instance. I want that. I want you to pray regularly and often. But what happens is the way that that's presented is how you do it, doing your quiet time, spending your time with God. It's portrayed in a way that seems incongruous with, for instance, having a baby that is always needing you and crying and waking you up at all hours so you're tired all the time. And so all of a sudden to be a really good Christian well, you can't really be, for instance, a, a busy mom who's at home with your kids. But no, actually, that's exactly what piety is for you if that is your position. If you have children, that actually is exactly piety. And so you can be encouraged that, you know, you don't have to add all these other things, all these uh, various traditions of men uh, to what God has just plainly said. This is this is how you are to serve me. This is what it looks like. You have your place. You have your duties and obligations because of the place God has put you in. So now to faithfully live out those duties and obligations is what he wants of you. So you don't have to, you don't have to feel like you, you are failing all the time, but I'm wondering if maybe what I should have said instead of, you know, the feminization of, of piety is maybe more so like the romanticization. And I was thinking while you were talking about it, um, you know, thinking about the heart, right? When we think of the heart, we think of something that is primarily like this romantic, ideal of feelings and the the longings and desires that come from our heart. It's, it is very romanticized. And so I'm wondering if we should go back to uh, maybe the, the more ancient way. So in our old testaments, the word that we usually translate for heart um, is to my knowledge anyway, um, it's, it's almost hard to find this because we become so accustomed to it, but um, it, if we were to translate it uh, in its original context for its original people, um, it would really be describing what we today are would refer to as the kidneys, right? The kidneys were actually like the seat of emotion, the seat of passion, the seat of, of, of desire and change and, and ambition and, and those sorts of things, right? That is where that kind of, you know, the same, the same ideas that we, think of as being a part of our heart, right? Actually in, in the, uh, you know, in, in ancient Israel, they would have thought of that as coming from the kidneys. 
And I'm just wondering if we should just start talking about our kidneys instead of our heart. And we probably shouldn't. But I'm just saying it would not play really well to sing. You asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my kidneys. No one would sing that anymore. Right. The moment we change it, no one's singing that. Right. And so uh, maybe maybe that could cut a little bit of that pietism out. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think we just I don't know. We need a new song. And you and I are not allowed to. (laughs) are not allowed to pick the song of what piety is about about because we've already you know we've we've attempted to promote a certain certain songs on this podcast before to the to the great <laughs> to the great criticism and shrieks of you of truly reformed southern brothers in the faith <laughs> please give us a a song that we can sing that is not just uh you know uh because what we've been singing (laughs) we need to get over these things because what are you know like what is the sign that we know christ it's not that he walks with me and he talks with me it's (laughs) that i care for my dad and i go to i love my wife i love my wife i discipline my children i do family (laughs) worship and the joy we share as I attempt to discipline my children and get them to sit in church. And the last time I was at, uh, at church with Michael, I sat in the lobby with my son for a half hour. Cause he couldn't handle things. <laughs> and the joy we share as we carry there, no one else has ever known except everyone else in church who heard me, who heard the whole thing and just right. thought, Oh man, I know those days. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so this, but, but yeah, I just think there's there is hardship in this, but there is freedom, right? When you were when you were speaking so to much freedom women and the mothers who we love and need pastors, it's because someone needs to tell you, hey, guess what? Like again, take the word piety away and and put in godliness. The picture of godliness is a woman nursing a child. Now, again, that doesn't make a married woman more godly. There's plenty of what, right? Again, you can translate this into images of people in every life stage, right? Yep. The children, the the picture of obedient children obeying their parents, right? That's the picture of piety, right? You can think of that. The, the person caring for their ailing parent, that's the picture of piety. The farmer doing this dutiful task is the picture of piety. The person committed to the city and community they live in is a picture of piety, right? Like, so again, we're not picking any specific image because this one is a is particularly pious. Obviously, they're they're they were chosen because they're so stark, they're so memorable, right? They're so unique, and because almost everybody experiences some of these, right? right. To be a parent or a child, boom, right, right there, right. You've you, experienced that. You visceral. are one of those Real. things. It's concrete. It's not yes. internal. Yes. And so, right. And so, yeah, there is difficulty, but it's freeing to be told, hey, women, if, you know, if you want to be a mother or if you are a mother, the what is the picture of godliness? You just doing that. And all the other things the world and our culture tell you, your flesh tells you, hey, guess what? This is this thing that you inherently know, right? This thing that 
you know you failed to do because you're a sinner and God must turn the hearts back. You know, like if you failed to honor your parents, welcome, welcome to the club. But this is what God is doing in the gospel. Because again, the good news is with all of these things, Peter says he has already given you everything that pertains to this. We don't lack anything we need to do this. So even if some of the things we said, you're like, well, I couldn't do those things. Well, okay, then I guess whatever imperfect description we just gave was not what piety would be for you. Because I know God has already provided you everything you need to begin being to make make men pious again. Piety, not pietism, Pastor Michael. How did we do? Give us score our episode on a, a score of one to one to ten. I score us uh, pious. I, I, I can. We did our. Can duty. I do that? We, we created. We audio. did our duty. To, we did our duty to our listeners, and that is all that we can do right now. I guess. So. All we can hope with this episode is to have cr- created something for you to think about. Really, because we just. We're coming totally, for me, Yeah, right when I heard this, we're coming totally out of left field here, right? In my mind. And so we hope it gives you something to think about. We hope you enjoy the audio. We hope you're enjoying this winsome winter. This episode, so winsome, so winter, you know, uh, we're, we're happy to, we're happy to be making it. <laughs>